1: Welcome to Copa with Felipe Cardenas. I'm your host and I'm back. This is the first Copa of 2023. As you may know, or if you don't know, I was in Qatar for the World Cup, took some time off, and now I'm here on the first show of the new year with my boy, my colleague, my friend, Pablo
2: Maurer. Pablo, what's happening, man? How are you? I'm good. I just noticed you uh, changed your Twitter avatar. It's no longer your face. When did that happen? I, I, You know, it happened recently because I, I, I don't like any of
1: my like headshots or anything. I don't even have a headshot. And I was, I was sick of all the uh, like dumb selfies best, I was using. So I went best with looking the, uh, best looking dude on
2: staff guy. and he's, he can't show his face <laughs> on his Twitter account. Meanwhile, I'm posting a selfie every 30 seconds. So, you know,
1: yeah. Well, anyways,
2: yeah. a lot of talk about though right now.
1: There's a lot of talk to talk about. We're going to lead with uh Joseph Martinez now officially an inter Miami player. The, the Joseph Martinez era in Atlanta, uh, is officially over in what a run it was multiple trophies uh, multiple titles the swagger the personality everything that you really want uh, in a in, in a star in a, in a league star joseph martinez had and, and it was it came to life in atlanta so we're gonna get into that we're gonna talk a little bit about the us men's national team the turmoil that continues to surround that team Mexico also doesn't have a head coach. These are two of the co-hosts of the next World Cup. And and they're sort of in a limbo right now about who's going to lead that team in the next four years. Uh, Apple, Major League Soccer, their marriage has officially begun. And Pablo, you were in Northern California for that Uh, big unveiling for MLS Media Day. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, And we're going to end on, on I think, some of the biggest news of the year. Two of the biggest news stories of the year, which was uh the king, the great the first greatest player of all time, Pele passing away on December 29th at the age of 82. And Argentina and Lionel Messi winning the World Cup, which that is a huge monkey off the back of another goat in Leo Messi. So, but let's start with Joseph. Uh he's been now uh, according to Atlanta United, which was funny because they're like the the press release said he was waived. And then I heard from a league source what that meant what does a no, a no trade clause do uh for a player when they have that how does how does he avoid waivers how is he given this freedom to choose the play the, the team that he wants to land in joseph martinez had a no trade clause he essentially selected to be reassigned which is the terminology for mls to inter miami so now he's going to be their star striker leading the line in 2023. Pablo, what's just your first impression? I mean, obviously, we've been reporting on this move happening uh, in the in the last couple of weeks. Now it's official. What comes to mind?
2: Uh, you know, I mean, first and foremost, to me, Joseph, it's a, he's a player who's hard to imagine in another uniform, at least in MLS. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting, obviously. Atlanta, uh, you know, he walks to a, a conference rival. I had to laugh at, uh, you know, Carlos Bocanegra's comments earlier when he said that they kind of, uh, you know, allowed him to do so, I guess, you know, because it'd be good for Joseph. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, but but it's fascinating, man. I mean, clearly there's like a little bit of bad blood here. And Joseph is, uh, you know, I don't know him personally, but strikes me as a player who um, may well channel that. And, uh, and, you know, his performances next season, obviously the roster in Miami is complicated in terms of, you know, where they fit him in and how many minutes he'll get. but um i'm I'm eagerly, eagerly anticipating watching him this year, you know.
1: It's gonna be fascinating. I, I wrote in the sort of the news analysis that we did for the athletic that if he fa- regains his form, if Phil Neville is is able to harness Joseph Martinez, his personality, his fire, uh, the, the brand that is Joseph Martinez and he starts scoring goals. Like honestly, it can be a remarkable story for him, for the league and for still a brand new club. And so it's as if it's something that they really uh, need uh, for each other. But you mentioned Carlos Bocanegra and, and what his comment was about being about Joseph essentially being allowed quote unquote to, to land in, in Miami. I asked Carlos Bocanegra that question during the press conference earlier today we're recording on Wednesday and i asked carlos if if it was difficult for the club to to to, to really allow this to happen to to see their the, the the first club legend move to a conference rival and not just a conference rival like literally a team that they battle for playoff positioning like they're neck and neck uh year after year this is these are two clubs that have similar uh ambitions to to really be a a prominent club in north america and on the global stage i think miami obviously has a little bit more of that pizzazz because of south florida but this is what carlos bocanegra said to us uh it's not a place we would have preferred him to go an in-conference rival ambitious club we could have been nasty but joseph means a lot to the club ownership (laughs) stepped up We wanted to find a good resolution for Joseph. Uh, That was pretty stunning to me. You know, I I was on the call and when he said we could have been nasty, I almost like did a double take. Like he really just said this on the record, which here's my take. I I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this, Pablo. But it's like, yeah, we know we know we know professional sports can be a nasty business. Uh, So can advertising. So can retail. So can the service industry uh every industry every walk of life can be nasty but that doesn't make it okay like we don't want we don't need nasty relationships a, in life
2: what a low bar to set for yourself <laughs> you know what i mean you're talking about the the your franchise player yeah a dude who is identified with atlanta united and you're acting like you've done him a, a favor by not taking the worst possible route the use of the word nasty it just like strikes me yeah. you know what i mean i don't know it just it just it did like like it did to you it kind of took me aback i was like yeah i know you could do that you could do whatever you want you could you know what i mean you could hold any player hostage guess what like nobody like no player wants to play for teams like that that was also my my first thought is like if i'm not in the lenny united player and i listen to carlos bokenegger say that like well we could have been nasty but we didn't it's just like you know it's a little ridiculous man well it was it essentially
1: was like it, it says a lot about the way so many players have left this club. Like they leave under negotiations that don't go the right way for them, that they sort of, there's, it's like a breakup rather than uh, a thank you and a farewell. So that happened with several players, uh, uh, LGP, Leandro gonzalez Pires, Julian Gressel, uh, you know, even Michael Parker's when he retired, it just didn't seem like it was the exact way he wanted to go out either. Uh, you know Jeff Lorenowitz, a lot of players that i think deserved another ending now Jose Martinez is is next level when, in comparison to all those players that we've just mentioned and you know the the build the statue hashtag that Atlanta United fans love to you know trot out there probably never going to happen but it it does say a lot about what this player means to the club so Pablo i mean can he can can he thrive again can this, can this player thrive again in, in inter, at Inter-Miami and in MLS? Like, what are we getting here?
2: Yeah. Um, first of all, I'd like to see that statue be of Joseph flipping a table of chicken and rice. <laughs> I think that's the preferred pose. Um, you know, like I said, I'm just sort of struck by this because uh, I do think, I mean, you even saw it last year in his play with Atlanta United where he seemed motivated by a lack of play time motivated, you know, by, by daters, that sort of stuff. Um, and I was struck also in his comments today, he mentioned Phil Neville immediately said that, uh, you know, that he was sort of his biggest champion and getting him there and stuff like that. It seems like he's already um, starting to lay the sort of bricks of a good relationship there. And like, you know, as an outsider, I don't cover Atlanta United, but it seems like uh, it, it's not even a controversial thing to say that his relationship with Atlanta was sometimes frayed his relationship with coaches, players, teammates, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, man. I just genuinely think if Neville if Neville plays him, gives him significant minutes, or even just uses him as a, a you know, clinical kind of late game sort of guy, uses him in leagues cup and open cup, that sort of stuff, um, would any of us be shocked if he scored 10 goals, 11, 12 goals? No, you no. know what I mean? Um, and if he plays a lot, somebody gets hurt or he has a good run of form, I don't know. I don't put it past him to have more than that, you know? I just think the, the ingredients here are, like, sort of, you know, primed for Joseph to really thrive. Now, yeah, of course, man. Maybe he goes there and flames out. Guy later in his career, that sort of stuff. But it's just hard to see it happening, man. Not in this league. I mean, he's been just consistently such a performer in MLS. The league hasn't changed that much, man. Um, and he's got all the motivation in the world. I mean, what do you What do you make of it? No, I agree.
1: I'll I'll jump off your last point that the league hasn't changed a lot. Like defend defenders, yes, it's improving, but it's still a league that favors the attackers. Like it's all about the goals. It's all about the DP signings, the big strikers, the big attacking players. And Joseph is that. Uh, You know, Inter Miami has improved. The 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 soccer has gotten better under Phil Neville. So it's not like he's going to a, a team that. Uh, doesn't know how to score goals. That doesn't have an identity, you know, whatever that may mean. But they, they're learning to play within Phil Neville's system, if you will. And I agree. I think it's interesting. You know, Justin Martinez didn't get along with a lot of the coaches in Atlanta. It's and the, that's the thing. That's part of the reason why his exit uh, ended up in this way, in my opinion. The, the constant change, the coaching carousel that was at Atlanta United. You know, Tata Martino to Frank DeBoer to several interim coaches, to Gabriela Heinze, and then Gonzalo Pineda, you know the, the lack of continuity really began to affect a guy like Joseph Martinez, that all he ever wanted was just to be on a team that would win and to have the, the camaraderie that he had in 17 and 18. Uh, you know, I think he really just longed for that. Ever, when that ended, it was as if he couldn't really let go of the fact that the club was moving further and further away from – what they had established, what they had started. Um, I agree. I think he has it in him. He's been the leading scorer for Atlanta United on on one leg, essentially, over the last two years. When his playing time was cut by Gonzalo Pineda, uh, both whether it was a tactical decision or the relationship just honestly began to sour, uh, he still led the team in goals. He was still the most dangerous player on the field for Atlanta United. He was still the guy that was coming in when they needed a goal and they needed a win, and he was playing that role so yeah I I agree with you I think he can fit several roles in this stage of his career but it's not like he's a 35 year old striker you know he just had a a serious knee injury that that lingered and today he told reporters like I went through a lot of tests the knee is good you know he's grateful for that and now we have to see we have to see how it goes Um, uh, something else I want to get your take on Pablo though like this what is a star in MLS like do I've gotten so many DMs. I've talking. I've spoken to people that are close to Joseph, and the, the term that they use is he's he left through the back door, which is a translation to Spanish. They say that a lot, like "se fue por la la puerta de atrás." You know, it's like they didn't show him the respect he needed. Yeah, yeah. Is, is is does MLS? Are they in a position to do that? Like this isn't Real Madrid. This isn't Man United. Uh, This is a seven year old club. Like. But it's still this is one of the things that, as most affecting fans in Atlanta, that he wasn't shown the proper respect, if you will. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think about I think of of ways that other clubs, uh, be it you know Orlando and Kaká, or or even like Miami and Higuain last year. Higuain was for you know for a year or so kind of a bit player for them. Obviously performed very well last year, but um, I I found it you know I found his departure from that team. Pretty great, you know, yeah. they did pressers, they gave him all the opportunity in the world to express himself. Um, and the stuff with Joseph is just like, you know, it's tough when this happens in preseason, there's no real way to sort of honor him on the field, that kind of stuff. But um, but yeah, man. I mean, the guy is like look, realistically, Joseph Martinez is not like an international megastar, right? But I mean, when you when you talk about within MLS, he's uh he's an iconic player in the history of the league, yeah. period. And when you narrow it down to just Atlanta United, he is the player, right? I mean, he is Messi at Atlanta United. He's like, what well, Messi is to Barcelona. Joseph is to – to actually, he's almost maybe even more like Cruyff at Barcelona or something like that. You know what I mean? He's like foundational yeah, like an OG. players you identify the club with. And it's like – it does. It sort of pains you. I mean, the part of me that's incredibly petty and loves this sort of stuff is like thrilled. You know, you already sort of start thinking, you know, like if he scores against him, is he gonna celebrate, et cetera, yeah. et cetera? Because it 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 uh you cannot help but be a little um uh I don't know, disturbed is the right word, but bothered by by the handling of this. And again, I really hate to come back to this. And you know, look, man, players are always gonna want to play for Atlanta United. It's a flagship franchise in the league, period. But again, if you're an agent or you're a player and you're looking at this sort of stuff, you're like, man. The front office there doesn't necessarily take care of players who are like foundational. What are they gonna do with me? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just th- I just think it's food for thought. You know the way they handled all this. So. And who yeah, knows? Then yeah. Maybe maybe when he comes back for the first time, they'll do something. Yeah, that happens sometimes. But but who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had heard that something was was discussed, and and the reason why I bring that up now is because this didn't happen over the last few weeks. Like the Joseph Martinez leaving <laughs> Atlanta has been time. in the works for yeah. several seasons. Uh, and and in 2022, it was like the, the writing was on the wall. Now, you know, I, I broke that story in October that he had been told by Carlos Bocanegra that they were moving on from him, that he was not part of the f- future plans at that time. Uh, I think the understanding was that Joseph Martinez wanted was willing to stay and, and to work it out. The club made another decision, and, and that's probably for the best. You know, you don't want a guy that truly doesn't want to be in at the club in the locker room. It just doesn't make any sense. Perhaps the timing was right. Uh, but it does say a lot about the the culture of Atlanta United and what I feel the new president and CEO, Garth Lagerway, I think it's one of his to do's is to go in there and and figure out okay, like who are we? Like, what is this club? Like, why are players leaving upset all the time? Uh, that's not the legacy I think the club wants, especially in this new era of Apple and MLS and all the content creation that's going to be coming about the leg- the legends of the of the club and you know you don't you, you don't want bitterness from some, some from some of these players that have been here with a 7-year-old club of course to your point Pablo it's like sometimes pettiness is just part of the the, the real world and and I think this is a, a sort of an example of a lot of egos a lot of big personalities ultimately not getting along Uh, And it'll be really interesting to see how Atlanta does honor one of their or not one of their their biggest player of all time, a guy that they used to send uh, bobbleheads of uh, to the fans, golden statues of Joseph Martinez to the fans. They created a hologram of Joseph Martinez kneeling like he does when he scores a goal on top of Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And I think, Pablo, I think if he comes when when, uh, Inter-Miami and Atlanta United play for the first time in May, I believe. In South Florida, if he scores, uh, he's not I don't think he celebrates. I really don't. I think he'll do the whole Yeah, like, you know, we like to, yeah.
2: I had this conversation with uh with Lucho Acosta, right? Who who you know left DC United on similarly bad well, frankly on worse terms. Um and I had a conversation with him a while back, you know, I think it was before the first or second time he played United, where I said, Vas you know, si Marca and and he he said uh por supuesto, you know, like obviously, <laughs> you know. What happened when he scored? Nothing, just the yeah. The yeah. hands down you know, like yeah. so so yeah, I think you're right, man. I mean I, and I do think uh um I think Joseph has always had a great relationship with Atlantis fans, right? Mm-hmm. I mean uh and I think I think when you don't celebrate in that uh manner it's a it's to show of respect to the fan the fans of the club, really not the club itself you know, so you're
1: probably right, man. Yeah. I'm sure he daydreams about just like scoring a bike against Atlanta United and looking up at the front office suite and just like kissing the badge of Inter Miami or something. I don't know, but I seriously doubt that's going to happen. You're right. When players decide not to do that, it's, it's, it's for the fans. It's not really, Oh, well the front office treated me so well, I'm not going to celebrate. No, they're like, they're fucking, they're footballers. They, they celebrate goals. Um, so, yeah, so this is going to be really interesting. Inner, Inner Miami, he, he took the number 17. I, I, I didn't, I saw the, you know, Pablo, uh, Paul Tenori reached out to me on Slack. He's like, did Joseph take 17 because of the 17s? I don't know if, if you're listening and you're not an Atlanta United fan. This is probably news to you as well, Pablo. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. Darren Eels created this nickname for Atlanta United's fans. He calls them the 17s. Okay. They're the 17th player on the roster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's very important to LAI fans. It's part of the, 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 I guess the, the launch of the club and Joseph took number 17 for, for inner Miami. Clearly he's, he's the number seven. He's, he's probably being a nice guy leaving. Who, I don't know who has number seven on, on inner Miami, but he's being nice and he's taking 17, but there's a little bit of irony there no?
2: Yeah. Maybe we're making more of that than, uh, that it is uh you know if i if i mean that's the first i'd heard of that you're right um do you think joseph had ever even heard of
1: that no <laughs> you know, that's like... that's what i told that's what i told paul i'm like hey, he probably has never even heard of that either but
2: yeah yeah it, it's part it's, of the storyline story that would make like good lead good yeah, lead, good lead, to, lead you know story or something like that so thank you joseph
1: you know <laughs> yeah yeah um so yeah so we'll close it out on that you know i think joseph martinez the You know, something that Carlos Bocanegra said that I do agree with uh, during the presser this morning, he said that he met with Joseph uh, in 2020, shortly after he had a knee, that knee injury. He said they sat in Joseph's backyard and smoked cigars together, had a nice moment. And what Carlos told him is like, you know, someday this is going to come to an end. And he's, and he's right. Like, I, I think that's a savvy thing to say. A general manager should be like, you know, we can't keep you forever. Uh, and, and perhaps that was a good moment between the two. You know, I, I, I know that it's, it's not the best relationship and perhaps, uh, you know, it was a bit of foreshadowing in that moment that said to say like, you know, you're not going to be here forever. When Joseph had told me in a story last year that he wanted to die in Atlanta. Uh, but clearly I think you saw that the club had other, had other plans. Um, you know, he's not the first player of that really stunning first era to leave. In fact, he's now the last key contributor other than Brad Guzan to leave the club. The only remaining uh, players from that championship season are Miles Robinson, who was a player that played very sparingly under Tata Martino. And obviously Brad Guzan, who was the starting goalkeeper. So when we say end of an era, it sounds very sports cliche, but it really is. It's like, it's, it's, it's over. It's a, it's a, another reboot for Atlanta.
2: Yeah, so it is interesting. They seem to have gone between all the coaching changes and all the roster turnover. You're talking about one of these iconic franchises for the past five or six years that at this point has had like three, maybe four identities. You know, um, it just, I remember thinking the first year or two they played that this was going to be, you know, a DC United type team as far as the early era of the league, a team that was going to run off three, four MLS Cups, be perennially competitive for the first, you know, 10, 15 years of their existence. So it's been interesting, man, to watch them navigate all these speed bumps uh, again as an, an outsider. But, you know, I mean, any team that that has the resources that team does, that has uh, ownership that's committed to win, I mean, Atlanta's going to get it figured out, man. You know, um, I agree. And, and so is Joseph. So it's it just, uh, you know, with all parties involved, it's going to be interesting to see what happens this year. Yeah.
1: And, uh, you know, just... A nice segue to to what the next era for Major League Soccer is now, um, with this relationship, this deal, this agreement with Apple for media rights—a uh, ten-year deal, two point five billion dollars, I believe—and um, and it's all, in my opinion, I'll, I'll just briefly say that you know I, I like what the Apple relationship with Major League Soccer does for global expo- exposure. And and the segue from Joseph is because I, I really do feel like MLS still needs big stars like that. That's what's going to sell the league beyond the, the local fan bases, beyond just the, the casual American observer. If you want people to tune in, they have to see stars in, in the majority of these games. And MLS isn't there yet. They don't have a star, a big star at every club they also have way too many teams. It seems like in order to do that, Uh, but Joseph Martinez is definitely going to be, I think a guy that gets a lot of content love within inter Miami, uh, within their digital team and in this setup with Apple. So you made a cross country trip from DC. You drove from DC to Northern California. If you don't follow Pablo on Instagram, do it. It was fascinating to see, uh, what you saw on your way out there. Uh, the goal was to get to MLS media day, which is kind of hilarious. That wasn't the goal.
2: Not, that was not the goal. Please, I want to clarify this. It did not take an 8,000 mile road trip to go to Major League Soccer's media day at the San Jose Convention Center. Okay, it just happened to be out there. And if I'm being real, about it, Felipe. I knew that I'd have probably camped three or four nights by then and would really enjoy a hot shower yeah. and a hotel room. So that's kind of why I pitched going there. But it's just, you know, whatever, it's fun. Um, I don't know if you've ever been one of these, but it's just like... I a,
1: haven't. Like, what is MLS Media Day in, in the uh, new you know, F- for MLS 3.0? What is it like? Uh,
2: well, it's kind of the same where, you know, if you're a writer, it basically involves speaking to 25, 30 players in seven or eight hours. Um, you know, ideally the sort of top line players in the league. I don't really know that that was the case this year. And then in addition to that, it's, you know, conference rooms full of, you know, TV networks and content capture studio where they do all those stupid videos of players like catching balls and smiling or like stepping up to the camera, etc. Just all the one kind of thing. Um, Lots of full year, kits,
1: right? Full kit.
2: Absolutely. You have yeah. just dozens of players walking around a convention center in cleats and uh, boots and shin guards, shorts, and you know shirts. I mean, it's it's a little ridiculous. They're just sitting around bored for six hours, you know, and, and they're full kit. Um, this year was different though, as you mentioned, because um, MLS was doing a an event with Apple, kind of rolling out some of their on-air talent, um, you know, for this new Apple deal. I thought it was, uh, I could give you my thoughts if you want. I thought it was yeah, like, yeah, let's um, do it. yeah, you know, it was. It just felt very much like a victory lap for MLS and Apple before they'd even broadcast one single game. Um, you know and i think it's interesting to me felipe i've I've thought more and more about this deal with apple and mls really and and i think don garber the commissioner in particular sometimes it feels like they're kind of chasing cloud um i i sort of
1: an iCloud. (laughs) (laughs) sorry sorry i think uh
2: i think of you know how they've added teams in austin and nashville i sort of want to always want to be in these like hip, young, forward-thinking cities. And to be clear, that's obviously a financial decision, too. Those are the customers. But, um, you know, part of me feels like they were just seduced by Apple in the way that you or me or many consumers are seduced by Apple, where the design is right. It's almost cultish in a way. Um, You know, after this Media Day event, they had an event out at Apple HQ. Same type of deal, just, you know, like, uh, you know, kind of flexing corporate muscle for sponsors and for media and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, it remains to be seen whether this product is even uh, going to be worth consuming, you know? So, so to me, that was just what struck me. It seemed very, very George W. Bush mission accomplished banner behind him <laughs> kind of thing. You know, So I guess it's, it remains to be seen what'll happen.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, like you, you make a great point. Like I'm an Apple guy, I'm a full on Apple consumer. I can't imagine my life without Apple. Like, that's just it. Like, I'm, I'm completely, I drank the Kool-Aid, I chugged it, you know, I, I've dunked, I've been dunked by the Kool-Aid, whatever you want to say. Uh, and, and, and so perhaps I'm a little biased to think that, yeah, like, I like the deal. I've always said, though, and I think everyone that follows this league understands that, like, you've got to branch out. Like, you can't just rely on local broadcast, local re- radio, the local reporters, and think you're going to grow the league. Like, you have to go global. And so the yeah, internationalization on, of the league was coming. You're, no,
2: you're talking about going global. They're not even remotely relevant in their own markets. I'm serious. Yeah, no, it's true. It's yeah, true. I, mean, I, I understand the idea that, like, listen, unquestionably, this is a better deal for the global viewer. I mean, anybody with an Apple TV subscription doesn't matter what country, and you're going to get every single game, right? Um, that's a huge win for the league. Uh, I don't know that it does anything for the relevance in the United States of America, right? Where Whatever, ninety percent of their consumers are based. MLS is still, you know, in the world of professional sports, by and large, a curiosity. Man, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, you know, I think that the league has grown tremendously and is far more relevant. But, you know, to just the average dude at a subway station or something like that, probably don't know anything about MLS. You know what I mean? Um,
1: but that's that's so, why the stars are needed. That's why stars are so important. So when I you're in a agree. when you're in you a know, train I, station I just, and you see a poster and it's. Two players you've never heard of, and that's why Gareth Bale leaving is sort of like you're leaving now. Like he would have been a big draw, perhaps, I, I mean, maybe I, not. Dude,
2: I, I I loathe to say this, man, but they need Messi. They really need. No, Messi. No, I know, I know. Like I, I, you know, it's I'm not like a, you know, there's just like you know, Messi, Rooney, Zlatan, Ronaldo. There's like five Neymar. or six players, Neymar exactly yeah. that would really move the needle for the league, and Messi is just like. That's I, I am convinced that would, in the short term at least, make the league much more relevant. You know, um, no,
1: without a doubt. Like remember the Beckham rule? We've talked about this a lot. There's books like Grant Wall. Ra- Grant Wall wrote a book about the Beckham rule. It's now the DP rule. There's gonna be a Messi rule if he signs for for what we believe will be Inter Miami if that deal gets done. There's, it's gonna change the league to a point where, uh, it, it there's no going back once Messi. Arrives if he does, and I agree. There's there's the traditionalist, and I remember asking Andres Cantor, uh, Telemundo's star, play by play, and most famous Argentine in the U.S. about Messi coming to the MLS. And he was his his reaction was like, "I hope not." <laughs> it's like some people don't want to see that. They would rather see him end his career at the top, perhaps go to Newell's, you know, his boyhood club in Argentina. MLS is just like a marketing deal, but.
2: If, i mean was was that his thought that it, this would just be sort of a synthetic thing and it'd be a shame for a no, player like messi I'm to
1: paraphrasing but it's kind of like he's yeah. too great a player to come to mls you know and that that's that's common <laughs> come on, man. that is common in like a lot of latin american countries they don't want to see their best necessarily end up in mls but with where the league is going and the deal that they've agreed to with apple to your point probably you're absolutely right like a player like messi is the one is the one player that when you're in the train station, you've never watched an MLS game in your life. You may have didn't, you, maybe you didn't know that MLS even existed and you see a poster of major league soccer and Lionel Messi immediately. You're like, okay, what is this? I'll watch. And that's the goal. That's why it's such a big deal for, to get him to major league soccer. It seems almost unfathomable, honestly, but it's also very possible.
2: I, I think it'll happen then. Um, having talked to stakeholders and MLS and stuff like that, I think it'll happen. And what you're saying about them, like, you know, I don't think there's going to be a messy rule per se, but I do think for players of that ilk, uh, things might become common, like cutting them in on real estate deals, yeah, that sort of stuff that, that, you know, you're going to have to obviously make the math work under the current rules. And, um, I think maybe this is a huge precedent center in that way. I mean, I can't even wrap my head around what this guy might get paid. You know what I mean? Um, and He owns be, property.
1: Like he's already into real estate. It's like something yeah. that's part of his future. Uh, so you're you calling that like you hit the nail on the head. I think that'll be a big part of the agreement. Not just yeah, oh, we'll give you we'll give you ownership. No, it's like you know here's downtown Miami,
2: <laughs> it's yours. Yeah, I mean he already apparently owns half of Saudi Arabia. So <laughs> I'm just <kidding>. that's true. <laughs> Anyways, that yeah. true. That is no, true. That is true. No, I mean keep your fingers crossed. But I do think you know the last thing I'll say about the Apple thing is. Uh, Paul and Sam, Paul Tenorio, Sam School on their, you know, podcast allocation disorder, it's uh, which an award by the way listen podcast. To, award-winning,
1: award-winning, award-winning podcast internally, allocation internally, sponsored yeah.
2: by dude wipes. I, so I listened to the last episode of allocation disorder. I'm so ashamed to admit this, like walking through Arches national park, you know, this beautiful <laughs> natural landscape. And I've got Sam squawking in my ear, but um, you know, I do think uh, Sam made a good point. It's one I thought of too, which is, I can't figure out how this Apple deal makes sense for Apple financially. They'd have to sell, you know, four or 5 million subscriptions. And I know there's other pieces advertising. Maybe they're just interested in the visibility, that kind of stuff, or using it as like a test bed for other stuff. But like, I can't figure out how Apple's ever going to make money off of this, you know? Um, And it just, you know, this is the last thing I'll say. I just like chuck it onto the pile of other things about the league that I don't understand, you know, like how, 80% 80% of the teams don't make money and yeah. X, Y, and Z thing. This is just like the latest thing about MLS that I just, I'm just like, <laughs> all right, man, I guess they know what they're doing. What I like. Good luck so, with that. Yeah, no, here's exactly. my theory
1: about Apple. I agree that uh, I, I do think it's sort of like the their way of dipping their toe in what is soccer media rights. Yeah. And if, if what we know about Apple and, and these mega tech companies is that they take a bite and then eventually they take the whole cake. And I think this is just my theory. This is not, I'm not reporting. I haven't spoken to sources about this or anything. Uh, come 2030 and perhaps beyond, I think you could see a, a company like Apple bidding for world cup rights. For sure, uh, It's yeah. that big of a, a play for them. I believe I think MLS is their way to get soccer fans connected to the brand. Uh, like uh, just the way soccer fans are connected to Adidas or Nike Uh or any of the other you know big brands that are involved with the sport, and I think you'll see Apple uh, start to to challenge the, the the other networks like NBC, CBS that have like this this hold on on the biggest soccer rights in in the world. Like Amazon has tried it, you know, Amazon was a big was bidding for Premier League rights. I really think Apple is going to be there, you know, making a pitch, you know, to host the biggest tournament in the world.
2: I think I think you're right too about something which is uh i just got this uh like late 70s u.s national team warm-up um off ebay and it's adidas and i'm looking at this thing and it's like just classic three stripes down the shoulders the adidas design it's got concentric kind of numbers like the mexico world cup sort of motif and i you know you're just looking at this thing and salivating and you're like and you and i talk about kits all the time we talk about adidas it's sort of like iconic thing i just wrote yeah. that denim kit piece and it was this like and, you know, it is it is one of those things where it's like the brand has just been associated with the sport for so long that it's become cultural. You know, it's like not like yeah. a, we, we're sitting here talking about a corporation, you know <laughs> what I mean? But we're talking about it like it's like this institution of design and should be celebrated and stuff like that. So you're right. I mean, maybe Apple's, maybe Apple's long play here is to sort of get their foot in the door in the soccer space and then in 20 years be, you know, a, a Nike or a, an Adidas or whatever – in the sport of soccer you know they can yeah. i mean
1: yeah they have the resources they have the design sensibility already like think of every nike commercial with 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 uh the, the biggest stars you know from from the world's game uh, and then think of just the first apple spot that comes to your head and there there's something there that 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 works uh, yeah, think of like the,
2: the silhouette of Breck Shea dancing around with an iPad. Totally. IPod, that's you know?
1: what I'm talking about. That is what I'm talking about. I, listen, we just we should just let's just move to Apple is it, to Cupertino and be the creative yeah, directors. Ex- and yeah, just yeah
2: like, exactly.
1: Let's go. Know, let's we'll bring Breck Shea as our ACD. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a long play. It'll be interesting to see. You know, you mentioned Paul and Sam and allocation disorder. They, they had a good conversation about the subscription model. Like, how does how is Apple going to figure this one out? Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how people, how fans, uh, how willing they are to pay the premiums. There's there's going to be a lot of games that you can watch without paying, but there's going to be a lot of games on um, behind a paywall. And we know that for a lot of people, paywalls are like, that's it. That's, that's the deal breaker. I'm not moving past this. But there's going to be a make or break point for a lot of fans.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more.
3: This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
1: Uh, let me just let's end on this I do want to get your take on some of the talent Let's why not you know this is still a work in progress there's still a couple uh, big names that haven't been officially announced I believe like Brian Dunseth Uh, Paul and Sam did report that they are working on a deal with Brian Dunseth Kevin Egan as well Uh, Kevin Egan big WWF guy now big superstar in that space as well but he was the voice of Atlanta United over the last few years a deal is being worked out for him as well. Uh, Taylor Swellman, obviously the big name. That's what everyone is talking about. But, and so before I just get your take on the talent in general, we don't need to go name by name. But what do you feel when you look at the, the, the diversity of this group? You mentioned it in a story that you wrote that they did almost intentionally go younger uh, with mm-hmm. this with this talent pool. You know, what, what is going to be the, the premier duo, though? You know, we had John Champion and Taylor Twelman for so long. Stuart Holden, John Strong on the Fox side. It's like, you know these pairs. You, they're like married couples. What's going to happen in the future for MLS? Who's, who are they going to pair with Taylor Twelman, basically?
2: It's a good question, because right now, of all the color guys, they sort of um, brought on board. there's Or announced, I should say. There's not some massive standout. I mean, Taylor's... Taylor's sort of, uh, public profile dwarfs anybody else on the stage by far, you know? Um, and you know, I'm not exactly sure. Um, or I should say the play by play people, there's, there's an yeah. obvious play by play guy to, 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 to pair with 12 men. Um, I, I don't know, man. I mean, I was definitely struck at the, the youth of the group and I, and the, di- the diversity as well to both gender and, and, and racial diversity I do sort of think, um, you know, there's a couple guys that that have been reported that um, that round out that group age-wise, but I think by and large, maybe that group is lacking some experience. You know, I do think um, when I asked Don and I asked Eddie uh, Q from Apple about that sort of, um, you know, very obvious decision to go younger, they said, look, man, these are our consumers. I mean, if you look up at the stage, today, the people up there are sort of demographic we want to target, you know, that these are our customers almost. Yeah. I think that's true, but I also think that MLS has a history over the years of casting aside people with institutional knowledge, and um, you know, I don't want to get on some high horse about, you know, they don't respect their own history or something like that, but there are many guys I mean, I don't understand how somebody like J.P. Dell Camera isn't involved. The dude is mm-hmm. just called the World Cup, called, called something like 17 or 18 men's and women's World Cups combined, um, has a deep knowledge of MLS, uh, we'll still call games for Fox. And uh, I'm told a ton of NWSL stuff is here too. That's one name to me that I'm just like, I don't get why yeah. they wouldn't bring him in. I don't, you know, for a while there, someone like Tony Miola was on the outside looking in. um All these guys that have been sort of fixtures in the league, uh, I think are, are being very intentionally moved on from. Doesn't sit terribly well with me, you know. Um, I think there's a place for some, but not all of them. Yeah. You know, so... um you know, they've sort of, I think, gone to an extreme with the, the sort of casting aside of their previous identity. You know,
1: yeah, it's a good point. I I, I think uh, I'm pretty sure Tony Miola is another name that's that's in negotiations, perhaps. Yes, uh, yes, yeah. But you're right. You know, I I even tweeted when the, the the roster was announced that it was a diverse group, a lot of experience. And after I hit tweet and sort of marinated with him, like, you know what? You're right. Like, there is also a lot of people on this team that are inexperienced, like Sasha Cliston. He, Cliston. he just, you know, he just started as an analyst, um, after retiring, you know, just moments ago, pretty much, uh, Diego Valeri, BW, a big
2: BWP, BWP
1: yeah. like, and again, this is the, in, this is how former professional players get into the business. So like, uh, you know, props to them for, for doing the work, probably having great agents and, and, and interviewing well, I'm sure in order to get this job. But, uh, you know, I think it is also uh a picture of what the the new vibe is like for in in and a lot of these studio uh setups it's it's younger it's more off the cuff it's not as formal some people like that some people despise it you know I know the you know MBA on TNT continues to be the the gold standard and I I sometimes I think it's ridiculous that we keep trying to To be compared to that, it's a completely different sport, different culture, you know. Different. uh, The hosts are just. You know, can you imagine Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley calling soccer games or being a a studio host for soccer games? No, like this is this is their territory. Like that's the NBA, and that's why it works so well. But uh, you're seeing more of that. The 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 young inexperienced analyst or play-by-play guy producers and creative directors taking chances on those names and those faces because those are the consumers, like you said. And there's a lot of social play involved as well. Who has the most followers? Can we engage them? So I just think it's just the modern era of of, of television, you know, talent casting. And perhaps in 30 years, these are going to be the names that we talk about as being like, you know, the in the forefront of, of MLS soccer. But Yeah. Della camera. Um, the, the play by play, uh, Johnson, Dave Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, from DC United, Yeah, yeah. Joe
2: Totino is another one in LA. And there's a lot of, a lot of guys that sort of, you know, and look, man, um, at the end of the day, I'll, I'll quickly point out that I'll be 43 in June and I'm, you know, I'm used at times to thinking of myself as the target demographic and the older you get, the less of a target you become, you know what I mean? So I think yeah. there's some of that at play here too. I sort of have to, uh, you know, remind myself that, uh, MLS consumer ideal is is literally half my age. Right. Um, so, so certainly I have to have to own that, but, um, it's just got really depressing anyways. What do,
1: you, <laughs> what do you think? Can we, can we handle on a weekly basis, Max Bratos and Taylor Twelman in the booth together? Is that too much energy?
2: Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> I like both those guys. It's funny. Yeah. I've never really put them together in that way. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I did talk to Max uh, actually at a, at a bar after that media event and he walked up and I said, how'd you get in here? You're like three times as old as all these people. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, typical Max though, wearing like loud suit, you know, he, he fits in with the younger crowd. I think he you does. Know? So, he does. Um, no, I, I don't know. You know, guys like max taylor they'll they'll do fine and they've been around forever you know what i mean i'm more interested to see how the how the vibes are on some of the the b and c level broadcast teams um
1: and the studio the vibes, like, the vibes might be the off. studio yeah the vibes <laughs> yeah. might be off the, i mean yeah. it, it, this is all about st- i think this is a big studio play and and that's where a lot of the criticism will will be centered on are are these is the whip around show interesting is it engaging uh is it too unscripted <laughs> Is it perfect for MLS? Like that's, I think that's what's going to be the feedback uh, when this kicks off in just a few weeks.
2: I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see I mean, I think you, a you lot of people it, that. There's a chance it might be a little cringy. It like might, be, it might cringy. be. You know, I mean, if they're it, going, I hate to say that, but if they're going after that sort of TikTok demo, you know, um, I, I don't know. Like, I'm bracing <laughs> myself for maybe a little bit of cringe. I'm not sure. You know, I, like, I
1: remember in in talking to Pete Radovich, CBS, you know, one of the big producers for CBS Soccer when they launched the Golasso show with, uh, Nico Cantor, like they had a lot of growing pains. They went through a lot of growing pains. He had never, Nico Cantor had never been a host, a studio host, but they went with it and they sort they, they, they took the, the hits, they took the punches, they took the criticism and it's, it, it's a show that continues to grow. Uh, and it, it, it has gained an audience because there, there was, uh, there, there was a, there was an opening there. People love those types of shows, especially now that everyone's working from home. So many people at home, you're not watching full 90 minute games. It's great to just see highlights. Uh, there's a big, there, there's a the big opportunity for MLS to do something similar, but it might not be perfect to start. It might take a couple seasons. seasons, maybe cringe worthy, but that'll be great for social. It'll be great for <laughs> social MLS and cringe, yeah. You know, we, it, it, they go, they go hand in hand. Um, uh, Speaking of cringe, and this is honestly unfortunate. I don't want to make light of the situation, uh, but the U.S. men's national team is in this <laughs> drama-filled novella uh, that is honestly just—it's embarrassing. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a scandal, in my opinion. It is a scandal. Uh, It's—it's it, it's backstabby and. What am I talking about? You probably know already, but I'll just rehash this before we get into some discussions. Uh, You know, Gio Reyna did not play much at the World Cup under Greg Berhalter. Greg Berhalter then gave a speech, which was supposed to be off the record, where he didn't name Gio Reyna, but he essentially used him as an example of what poor sportsmanship looks like, what, what, what a player that isn't giving his all looks like at the highest level. Uh, and what that resulted in was Gio Reyna's parents, Claudio and Danielle, going to Ernie Stewart, who is the U.S. Uh, men's national team sporting director and revealing a very private and personal incident from 1991 between Greg Burhalter and his then girlfriend, now wife, Rosalind, where they had an argument. It got physical and Greg Berhalter kicked her they have since like i mentioned they're married for over, they've been married for over 25 years i believe they have four kids so clearly that was their problem and their issue to manage uh what do we make of this you know I, I, one of the things that i think about a lot is us men's national team fans were so excited about this young team the youngest team at the world cup by they were they were almost the youngest team at the World Cup. Ghana was the youngest team. But having this young, dynamic, all these players, this is gonna be so exciting. We've got the future. Da-da-da. And it was like we forgot that they're so young that their parents are still involved in their careers. <laughs> and this is what we've it's been this is what it's led to. Uh, an ugly incident, but Pablo, it's been thoroughly reported. It's it's been exhausted at this point, but it's not solved because Greg Berhalter is still in limbo here what were your first impressions when you began to hear what was developing, which some people have compared to extortion?
2: Yeah. I mean, my first thought, uh, you know, when Greg gave that leadership summit, the, uh, you know, the remarks that were supposed to be off the record or whatever was, uh, um, how dumb are you to think that you could say anything to a room full of people and have it be truly off the record. Right. Um, so my first thought was uh, was that Greg Burhalter did a pretty stupid thing, um, uh, which was quickly overwhelmed by uh, by uh, you know uh, Rena's parents, obviously Claudio. Um, uh, you know, I just I can barely wrap my head around how incredible. I mean, everybody in the situation is like covered in filth, right? I mean, there's like Greg does a thing that's some would call unprofessional and stupid, then geo you know geo was all starts with geo doing a thing and at you know not training at a world cup basically or not uh you know not uh, just pouting you know, not pouting. putting the correct amount of effort in. that's incredibly yeah. dumb exactly um and then his parents do something that's so stupid and so uh manipulative and dumb and frankly incredibly unfair to someone like rosalind Burhalter or their kids that sort of stuff that it makes me almost completely forget about what greg did right um it's like a snowball effect kind of thing um in in regards to Burhalter though i mean i don't i just don't see a path forward with that person after this entire situation right and a lot of it's not his fault a lot of it's the exposure of a, a situation that obviously was dealt with and um you know he was open and honest about it obviously when it came to light uh but you know i just think you know it's like and then it keeps keeps going and going. I mean, if like if you know Claudio Reyna obviously is a GM at Austin FC, yeah. If you're a player there, how do you trust that person? I mean, like it's just sure. like the tentacles of this just keep going. You know, if you're Gio Reyna now with your club, they look at you the same way in the locker room. If you're a club looking to to buy Gio Reyna, you know, d- does his value go down? I mean, it's effing crazy, man. Like it just goes on and on and on. You, I, I try, I've tried to like not make it, not like sensationalize it or whatever. Yeah not make it into like you described it at the novella, but it just is man. Like it, it's like undeniably it makes the Harks when all the infidelity thing in 98 look like child's play, like a Hallmark movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just ridiculous. Like,
1: and, and this is my personal opinion, you know, Danielle Reyna, uh, having given statements to multiple outlets, including the athletic, you know, admitting I went to Ernie Stewart, you know, this is what I said. This is why I said it, which is, I just was to be. It was such a bad look uh, to to even just admit to that. Um And and there is an inve- there is an investigation that that is underway within U.S. Soccer concerning that and a- alleged uh inappropriate behavior towards staff members from third parties. It's just like it's not over yet.
2: And the, when I the think hilarity, of the hilarity of her saying, like, "Well, I didn't think it'd become a whole thing. I just said it to." Ernie, you know, like, uh, we're as a, in a friendly conversation or whatever. I mean, like, yeah.
1: come on. And dude. also, you are know, we, like, are we honestly all, are we just supposed to believe that sh- Claudia didn't know that that was going on? Give me, yeah. give me a break. I like, get, when I think of Daniel Reyna and what she admitted to, I just immediately insert Claudia Reina as well. To me, he is just, oh, of course, of as course. He yeah, as. Of like course. he's not yeah. going to let his wife take yeah. the hit and, and, you know, I'm going to continue my career as a GM. And it was one of the, U S soccer royalty. No, like you, you've, you've tarnished your legacy here.
2: Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to like, not to bring Eric when all down to this, but it does make you, it reframes the way you view like his comments earlier in the world cup about how Claudio had been expressing his frustration with playing time and stuff like that. Of course, of yeah. course, these dudes were sitting, of course, Claudio and his wife were sitting around stewing on this. And you know, it, it's my assumption. They probably made this decision together. You know, I mean, it Absolutely. just, it, it's just like, It's ridiculous, dude. Yeah. Like, and here's the other piece too. Like, I started to keep talking over you, but like, you know, we're talking about Greg, and the question right now is: Does does U.S. Soccer bring him back? Greg has at least publicly expressed that he still wants the job. I don't know about that, though. If you're Greg Berhalter, do you really want this job? Given all of this BS, given all that sort of stuff, given the fact that right now you could probably get a job coaching a mid-tier. European club, right? Somewhere in, I don't know, Scandinavia, wherever, right? Like good money, don't have to deal with any of this stuff. And if, if he does return as the coach, he's going to get asked about like, this is not going to go away for the next three years.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's not going away. It's it's going to be, the players will be asked about it. And what will happen is what we saw happen in Mexico. It will damage the club. It'll damage the locker room. It'll damage the vibes of the team. It'll affect the way they play. Uh, it'll be the focus of the report reporters questions, even when it should be based on tactical decisions or player selection, it's all going to come back to, this is awkward. Greg Berhalter is still the coach. I agree. And, and just on a little bit of recency bias here, Greg Berhalter, with all the pressure that he was under heading into the world cup, I thought he had a good world cup. Not great, but pretty decent, um, with, you know, a team that I felt didn't, exceed expectations to me they didn't they I would say that they met them they met expectations and the takeaway being in 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 Qatar and speaking to other reporters and even just colleagues they they look at the U.S. like that team can play like that was the takeaway from a lot of the games at the World Cup obviously they were outclassed and just schooled against the Netherlands but in general the, the people that had never seen the U.S. play that weren't part of this four-year cycle or or the two-year cycle of qualifying saw a team that was like, okay, this team is, is interesting. And so that's a shame because Greg Berhalter, despite all of the scrutiny has had a lot to do with that growth, but I agree. I don't see how it's, how it's a good thing to keep him for him to want to be the coach of this team where you're not just going to blacklist Gio Reyna. Uh, That doesn't go well either. Ask Chicharito, ask Mexico about that. Uh, and, and yeah, like you have to re, uh, you have to rework the locker room again because you don't know, like players are saying all the right things that it was dealt with internally, but it becomes something that, that, that can take on a life of of its own. Uh, you know, he's not, I think he's a good coach, but he, I I don't know how, what the younger players truly think of Greg Berhalter. Is it time for a change? You know, it, it seems like it's, unfortunately the right time to move in another direction.
2: Well, well, make no mistake. Cause the, the, here's the other thing is that who uh, say they do that, whoever replaces him also still has plenty of work to do. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the fallout from this doesn't leave with Greg Burhalter Like you said, Gio Reyna still exists. He's, you know, listen, man, he's not a world beater globally, but for a player from the United States, he's an exceptional player. He's yeah. going to be part of the U S system for years to come. Um, you're still going to have to find a way to incorporate him. Players, you know, on this current roster, are still going to have feelings about him or how Greg handled it. So even, you know, the US's next coach, whoever that might be, um, you know, the fallout from this is something you're going to have to deal with.
1: Who's going to be the next coach, Pablo? Let's end this segment on that. Like who we heard about the the, the Zidane was approached. You know, Zidane was approached by by someone within U.S. soccer. That's debatable. <laughs> if that really happened, if it was an agent, we don't really know yet. But um, that was an interesting name to be out there. Pep Guardiola. I, I heard Cristiano
2: Obviously. almost went to Sporting Kansas City as well. So <laughs> yeah. It's been a big yeah, summer. Yeah. You know, oh, gosh.
1: We should do an entire show on that, by the way. <laughs> I, th- I think yeah, I
2: never wanted to turn his Face ca- FaceTime camera on. It you know, was yeah. kind of weird, but, you know.
1: It's like not to go on a tangent but it's like we almost had him is like a big story. I don't know. That shouldn't be the goal here but anyway. Yeah. Uh Zidane is similar in that. Hey, we we Zidane turned us down. You know, we must be making it in world soccer. Who's the right fit then, Pablo, leading up to 2026?
2: Um, you know, I have sort of like a lizard brain about this sort of stuff. I'm always going to want a big name foreign coach. I mean, I am sure I don't I Frankly, I don't remember specifically, but I'm sure when they named Jurgen Klinsman the coach, when Sunil got his guy or whatever, I was thrilled. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Um, uh, you know, my dream hire would be like Bielsa, right? Or Pep. I mean, these names that just are frankly unattainable. Although I think actually Guardiola is one that, yeah, will, yeah. yeah in the long term, I think he might do it, man. I mean, like he's done everything else. He's He loves the United States, yeah. you know. Um, but I don't know. I mean, more realistically, you know, people talk about, again, people the name that always gets tossed out is Jesse Marsh, right? And, um, I'd ask you the same question I just did about Greg. Does he even want the job? I mean, he has, you know, look for the time for the very near future, at least he's still employed. Um, he has a job that's been nearly impossible for American managers to get over the years, uh, a job at any EPL club. Right. Um, so, I don't know. Does he leave that for the U.S. national team? Yeah, you know, maybe think he sees he the writing on the wall,
1: but I think he abs- I think Jesse Marsh absolutely would. And you're right. Like you, he has a really job now. Yeah, I do. I do. And only and for, for two reasons. One, because uh, I still think even when you're in the Premier League, it is still a, a, a truly like lifetime goal to coach your national team it's it's probably i can't imagine you uh, someone like Jesse marsh or really any American coach that that is still active today turning that job down so i absolutely believe that jesse marsh would take it also Leeds United while it's an awesome club to be at he is on the hottest seat in the Premier League right now yeah and yeah. it's like he they win a game and he gets off of it and then they draw a game they lose a game he's back on it Uh, It's a club that needs a lot of help. It's not just Jesse Marsh. It's not his job to fix the club. Uh, But patience is so thin in England. And he could be out sooner than he thought. And could be available sooner than he expected. And if this transpires the way it's going, there's an interim coach right now coaching the U.S. Men's National Team during January camp. It's happened before. If Jesse Marsh is available, I don't know how you don't approach him. I, I still like Jim Curtin. I think Mm -hmm. even though, uh, I think he's, he's, he really is built to be at a, at a bigger, have a bigger opportunity at a bigger club outside of the United States. Uh, you know, it would be interesting that type of personality coaching a national team. Uh, but yeah, I think still Jesse Marsh is the top guy. And I absolutely believe he would take the job. All right. Speaking of another segue, um, the world cup what's happening in 4 years uh leo messi after winning the world cup said he wants to continue to play that was a big big story during the world cup in qatar like what happens with messi if they don't win the world cup what happens with him and his international future if they do for a while there after they lost to saudi arabia it was like this is it like he's they're not going to win <laughs> he's going to go out as as the, as that the, the one of the best players in ever, to not win a World Cup title. Clearly, that was flipped. He has a World Cup title. He's won everything. There's nothing else for Leo Messi to do, but he still wants to continue playing. Pablo, we just talked about him being so huge for MLS. How big would it be to have him in the North American World Cup? Leo Messi.
2: Yeah, I mean, huge. I I, I told somebody um, during the World Cup in Qatar that, like, to me, the only way that you ever saw messi in an argentina shirt again was if they won you know i thought if they lost there's no way he ever placed them again um but with the monkey off his back and sort of with very little pressure just sort of go out there and enjoy it you know so and yeah i mean if he's still look if he's still playing he's still healthy um i don't see any way he doesn't make their roster as like a an experienced guy, an impact guy, laden games, maybe even still a starter. You have no idea, you know, it's just like, uh, it would obviously be massive, you know, um, especially because he'll probably be playing for the Houston Dynamo at that point, you know, so (laughs) he'll be be playing
1: for his third MLS team.
2: Can you imagine the MLS and Apple promos when the, you know, the, uh, whatever, MLS will have uh, eighty-five teams by then, and Messi will be a designated <laughs> player for Shakhtar Scranton, Wilkesbury FC, or something like that. So- the Messi,
1: the Messi rule will be that he has to play for like several teams in one season. That's exactly it. That's it. He just has it, to do it, it. It
2: cracks me up, man. I just did this Pele story, and um I should say Pele story, and. um he retired from the NASL in 1977 and I was like, he'd watch games in 78 or 79 on tape or they're on YouTube and like, um, uh, Pelé would just still be there. Like the league just still trotted him around. It's like, you know, walked him out (laughs) on the field before games, you know, two years after he was retired, just, uh, just for the sort of, uh, you know, draw effect. he had. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Messi will become, uh, MLS's mascot or something like that who knows you know maybe i mean
1: we i think we all agree that like leo messi he he isn't he's he, i wrote a big story about the comparison with maradona after he won he won that that the title the world cup like how do you compare him to diego uh and they're just so such so different like personality wise and that's why you know the day that leo messi retires like he just goes and he's going to be a stay at home dad like we may not see him again other than what you just mentioned, like these weird sort of like ambassador roles for the different leagues he's played for. Uh, but he's not going to be a pundit. He's not going to be an analyst. Uh, he's not going to be in the booth. Like this is it. This is your opportunity to grab onto Messi and, and, and and squeeze the last bit of juice out of him. Uh, and, and I can guarantee he's a big, big draw for the world cup in four years as well. Uh, but let me, before we get to Pelé, do you remember the conversation we, you and I were having during the world cup final? When it was, I think it was, maybe it was three three at that point, or maybe it was two two. I don't know. And, you, and I just remember you wrote to me. You said, "If they lose, if Argentina loses this game, <laughs> it's going to be so tragic." Yeah. And like, obviously, they didn't lose, but like, why did you say like let, Let's explain like the 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 culture that is the fanaticism that is Argentine football in that moment."
2: Yeah, I mean, it was as much about how the game started, obviously. Sort of like yeah. it It just felt like a coronation very quickly. You know what I mean? Like you sort of felt the weight off. I mean, as a neutral, I mean, listen, man, I have no issues with France. I, I, Kylian Mbappe is an incredible player. But, uh, you know, if you're a neutral, you want Messi to win, period, right? I mean, it's like like you said. I mean, and for me particularly, one of the biggest arguments I hate in professional sport is, when the, is the whole sort of like oh, yeah, I mean, like, he's not the greatest because he never won yeah. X championship or, like, X number of championships. Like, shut up, dude. Like, you could you could be the greatest player in the history of sport and not have done that, you know? Like, other players are fortunate to have been surrounded by better talent sort of stuff. But, um, so to me, I was just, like, relieved also that I, we, I would never have to have that argument about Messi again, right? Um, uh, on the other hand, yeah, once once, obviously, France... I mean, I just can't even even thinking about what happened in that game right now. My brain is like short circuiting. It's because it was so absolutely insane, man. man. Um, Yeah. Imagine
1: being from Argentina.
2: Yeah, exactly. The tragedy there just goes to like, you know, man, if the U.S. loses in that manner or something like that, it's news. But at the end of the day, like a week from now, it's aside from. 10,000 people on Twitter it doesn't get talked about a lot if Argentina had lost that game dude it, it I mean there may have been like blood in the streets it would have been you know sort of just like li- literally maybe maybe figuratively right it um it would have just been like carved into lore uh you know in, in the way that like the the Bill Buckner era is for Red Sox yeah. fans just yeah. like that sort of next level tragedy right so yeah. To me, I was just like, I was so immensely relieved that they, that they won. Honestly, yeah. just for for like the sake of humanity. <laughs> you know what I mean? no, like, and, and
1: and I'll admit, I am a Maradonista. I am I I am part sure. of yeah. the, I am part of the cult that is Diego Armando Maradona. It's he was you, my you hero. The, you growing up. You and I both. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you and I we, we can we're on the same page there, uh, and, but I, I I got to the point. During when I was covering Argentina at the World Cup, where I was like, you know, I'm just being neutral. And then as they progressed, they progress. I saw Messi score two goals in person. I was like, this guy is ridiculous. Like he better win this tournament. He better win it. Like I don't, I don't want to see this. This I don't want to see Messi a sad Messi again. At that, yeah. point. And during the final, it took on a, a a whole new level where I was like, he might be. He's going to become the the, the the biggest sports star in his history of any sport that will be considered a loser if, if they don't win this game. Um, so yes, I think there was a lot of relief now as a South American, there's nothing like it's hard to stomach an arrogant Argentine because that's just how it is in that country. But props to them, props that they suffered, they suffered to get the title. Um, and I think, it was well deserved in the end. Uh, I think they were very happy to to have not had to play Brazil, who was I think an absolute machine during the World Cup, uh, and that does take us to Pele. Pele was on uh, was very sick during the World Cup. I remember being there and and talking to colleagues, and there was a concern that Pele, you know, Pele would pass away. While Brazil was still playing in the tournament, and there were a lot of conversations like, "What is this going to do to Brazil? Like, what will happen to the country? What will happen to the national team if their, you know, their greatest ever player, the biggest icon in the sport, passes away during the tournament?" That did not happen. He passed away uh, about eleven days after the final. You did. You wrote a story. You're you're very you're like a Pele historian, Pablo. I'm being very gracious with that, but you know a lot about the about the player. You wrote about his time in the U.S. Uh what do, what do we what do we say about Pele? You know, I have my own thoughts that I'm going to say, but what do we say about Pele now that he's gone in, in in this new era of the go era?
2: Yeah, he is one it's uh you know, you look at him alongside Messi, Maradona, whoever else you want to put in that conversation. It's tough with him. I mean, he played in Brazil his entire career. Um the quality of defending just simply has gotten much better, particularly in midfield. Um at the same time, man, you watch. You know, I the compilation I, uh, I saw maybe a couple of weeks ago comes to mind, where it was like um, your favorite player's move, like Pelé did it 30 years earlier. I don't know if you yeah. saw it. Yeah, yeah. It was him doing like a Cruyff turn, mm-hmm. or like a sombrero, or whatever. You know, it's like, um, and it was. I mean, you watch him. I've watched pretty much every game he ever played in America, and at 36, he's the best player on the field by a country mile. You know, like, but but obviously, um, the bulk of my reading and writing and stuff about um about that player has been on his effect on soccer as a whole in the united states um i i frankly think nobody there isn't one figure other than him you know i I think he's the most he's the most important figure in american soccer history when it comes Mm -hmm. to the modern popularity of the game i think he dwarfs beckham he dwarfs players like that um you know i just think uh he planted the seeds of the heads of all these guys who are on the 90 U.S. World Cup team, the 94 team. Um, you know, it's just sort of like a knock-on effect, you know? So it was a pleasure. Also, something that struck me is he's he's maybe the only athlete in the world. man. you talk to somebody about Michael Jordan, and he's like the greatest, but he's not like a, a deity. I mean, you talked yeah. you talked to anybody about um, Pelé, and he's like, you know, I remember I talked to Sergio Mendez, this just – crazy famous brazilian musician and he was saying things like to me uh Pelé means happiness and togetherness and it means like and these are not things that are typically said about people right. you know what i mean he's speaking about or him athletes. like he's a feeling <laughs> or athletes <laughs> yeah. especially yeah um you just can't find one person who says anything truly bad about him you know and obviously I mean, we saw like in the netflix documentary a couple of years ago he has his own complexities. He largely stayed out of politics during a time yeah. when Brazil when could was, have,
1: yeah, he could have been a voice
2: a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. Um, but if the worst thing you can say about him is that he didn't go out of his way to involve himself in certain situations, uh, you know, it's just like, it's tough to find anybody who doesn't describe him as being incredibly generous with his time, the greatest player, in the history of the game, et cetera, et cetera. So,
1: yeah. And like Pelé, like growing up, you know, we're, Kids of the 80s and 90s, like he, we, I was still watching, you know, cassette tapes about from all his goals. Like, those are the tapes that my dad bought me. It was Pele. Like, it was, it was, yeah, Maraona came later. Um, but we were, we, we knew all about Pele as kids. Like, he was the best player ever. Like, there was, there was no discussion. Um, and and his pa- his path through the United States, I think, made him probably the only player up until now. Yes, we can talk about Leo Messi and Ronaldo and all that, but like he, in a time where, where soccer in the states was not even—I mean, you can't even call it a niche sport. It was not, was it? I'm not sure, but like he was <laughs> known to everybody, everybody in the United States, all over the world, but especially in the U.S., a country that's not known for its soccer. Well, they surely knew who he was um and and that's part of his legacy for sure
2: yeah i always think about the fact that you know he was injured a couple times during his time in the united states and i want to say the um the cosmos who he played for obviously they played a game against the philadelphia fury at Veterans stadium and he was injured and i think thirty five thousand people came just to see him walk out there in a jacket and you know kick out a ceremonial first kick i mean he was he was a transcendent figure and and what you're saying about um his stature to people of our age is entirely true because look man to people like you and i who grew up with soccer um maradona yeah you know but by the time i was 6 or 7 or 8 was like my favorite player mm-hmm. again though um pelé was like almost not even a player i mean it was just yeah, like yeah. in the air a symbol right? he was, was a like a dude Right. You you talked about the videos. I mean, he did a bunch of like the instructional VHSs and stuff he did with um, like the Pepsi Cola tapes and like all that, the MasterCard tapes, all that sort of stuff. I mean, like I, I, I'm talking about this, like these are mixtapes or something like that, like his hot stuff, like the Pepsi Cola mixtape, <laughs> um, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was just kind of in the air. Right. I mean, he's like the only he was the first and um, you know, there haven't been many more soccer player just to be on The Simpsons. He was like they kind of lampooned him for being obviously in every commercial in the world. But like, yeah, that was his stature. I mean, in, I don't know in 1992 or something like that um, to somebody who's 12 or 13, if you're transcendent enough to show up in a cartoon, probably that says something, That's huge. Um, you know, so for sure he was like, he was it dude. I mean, he was, my dad doesn't even care about soccer and, and knew who play was and knew he played for the cosmos. And, you know, yeah. so yeah. this is what i'll say about yeah.
1: play also we can we'll end on this because we talk a lot about like his skill you mentioned the skills that he he sort of was the first right the og uh of so many of these skill moves and the techers that we see in in soccer today but what gets underlooked uh, overlooked i'm sorry we gets overlooked a lot and this is this came to mind with i shared this this reel with you on instagram it was these Old guys from Argentina, former Argentine coaches that were players back in the 70s and 60s that played against Pele. And it's these Argentine guys talking about how physical a specimen Pele was. Um, You know, one guy referred to his like, he's talked about the size of his chest. Another guy is like, he's the only player that I truly feared. And then the real with like this just hype hip hop track. Just shows Pele destroying a bunch of players physically, shouldering guys <laughs> off the field, uh, hip checking guys while he's doing like a sick move, and people forget that. Like he was, and like not to make like a, a cliche comparison, but it was like LeBron playing soccer. Like it was like he was a physical specimen, the perfect athlete, uh, he, fast, I mean- strong, skillful. He, he the way he saw the game was next level. But so often it's like, oh, you're just like a trickster. No, like this guy could not be touched. He was that special.
2: Yeah, I had to find a clip of it. But there's a game uh, in America. You know, I think it's a Cosmos Tampa Bay Rowdies game where he he hits Rodney Marsh, this player from the Rowdies, so hard. I mean, the <laughs> dude literally, I think, does a full flip and lands on his back. Um, and I think the the story behind that was that he had uh you know when marsh came to the league they said uh you know you've been described uh, by by your ownership here as the white Pelé." and he said oh well i think play is the black rodney marsh i think that you know obviously Pelé like even to even be associated with a player that's just sort of like a middling player in england or something <laughs> like that the first <laughs> time he saw him he absolutely crushed him you know Love so it. yeah the, the real you sent me that it kind of got me like hyped up almost it was so like yeah. Uh, you know, you, you forget that, like you said about him. But then again, anytime you see a, a photo, they do with that with his shirt off or something, He's just like absolutely chiseled. Yeah. Right. So it's it's like a, a
1: true athlete, just like a true yeah. athlete. Yeah. Rest in peace. Pelé, one of the best players ever. Probably the, the, the best player, the biggest footballer in the history of the game, without a doubt, is Pelé for the biggest brand of football still, Brazil. So uh pablo thanks again man love when you come on we'll have you again and uh to all the listeners thanks for staying on it was a big show a long show we had a lot to talk about a lot to cover but it's the first show of the year see you all next week